Today's scripture reading is Luke 4, verses 14 to 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture, is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet, not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for our brother David as he comes to share. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for our brother David. We thank you for um, 
your marvelous and wonderful and beautiful and convicting word. And we pray that uh, as he brings um, to us this message this morning, that you would guide him, that you would give him peace, and that you'd free him up to share what you have laid on his heart this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Ben. Good morning, First Baptist, CPC. It's great to, to be here with you this morning and have this, this privilege um, to, to share scripture with you. I want to make you participate a little bit in what happened in this scene. And to do that, I want to invite you to, to read out loud uh, this verse. Um, so 28 and, and 29. So let's read together, okay? One, two, three. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the broader hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Boy, that, that escalated quickly, didn't it? What happened? This was supposed to be a homecoming, a confidence booster, if you want, a community moment for Jesus in Nazareth. He had grown up in this town. He and his family went there after they, they finished their time as refugees in Egypt, right? That's where they settled. He might have even learned how to read in that very synagogue. It's not far-fetched to think that. He belonged here. How did he get to this point where the people in the synagogue are about to literally kill him? I mean, they're, they're trying to push him off. They, they, they're not, they don't just have the, you know, the idea. No, they, they're, they're actually trying to execute it, right? How did it get, how did it get there? How did things got there? Paying close, close attention to this dramatic scene is crucial for understanding the plot of the whole book of Luke. And more importantly, for understanding what barriers we might be placing to the work of God in our lives. And what barriers we might be placing against participating in Jesus' mission. This passage has a lot to say about discipleship. This scene is also important for the entire sermon series that we're starting today, Meeting Jesus. We'll meet Jesus through the eyes of different people, men and women, in Galilee. These meetings will give us insight into who he is, but they will also bring up questions, sometimes difficult questions about who we are. You see, welcoming Jesus means welcoming the people that come alongside with him and welcoming the purposes that he comes with. Jesus, in these meetings, Jesus healed, took away shame, included and restored broken people who didn't think or people that were told that they were not worthy of love, that they were not worthy of connection and belonging. That's what these meetings are about, Jesus setting them free, including them, restoring them. 
But not everybody welcomed Jesus, as we have seen. The people that didn't want anything to do with Jesus were often religious people, pay attention to that, who couldn't acknowledge that they too needed Jesus' healing and deliverance. They were too focused on other people's brokenness. In other cases, people were curious about Jesus, but they chose not to follow him because they were too attached to their wealth or their power or their position in society, and they couldn't let go of those. It is my prayer that in the next 10 weeks, as the pastoral team encourages us to acknowledge our own brokenness and points us to Jesus for healing, we will gain a deeper, more Christ-centered experience of real freedom and real belonging. So, to understand what happened in this scene, this day in Nazareth, Let's go back to the beginning of the passage. Well, to verse 16, where it says that he went to Nazareth, where he had, had been brought up, and he read scripture, right? Things started well. Jesus was getting famous as an incredibly gifted teacher by the time he came to his hometown. And on that Sabbath, Sabbath day, he chose a powerful portion of scripture a portion that resonated with the hopes and aspirations of those present in that synagogue that day. You see, you see, Nazareth was part of Galilee, which was a marginalized and oppressed region in the Roman Empire. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was a great passage for Jesus to read that day. Probably people were always happy to hear this portion of scripture. I can imagine reactions of or feelings similar to those when, you know, when the worship team uh, chooses your favorite hymn and, or your song and you just you know, sing your heart out. You know, people are with that enthusiasm after having read this passage. Whenever I preach this passage, I usually focus for, for all these years that, and this actually, this, was, this passage was my very first sermon, um, I don't know, 20 years ago, and uh, uh, those people were very gracious to me because, <laughs> you know, as, as you come out of the seminary, you try to exegete the passage in front of them, right? Like, anyhow. But um, I usually focus on the good news to the poor when I preach this passage. But this time, I approached this introductory sermon to a whole series in a different way because I realized that we will have several opportunities in the following weeks um, to understand how Jesus is good news to the poor and marginalized. Uh, so I'm going to leave that for my, for my teammates. So as I prepare this sermon, I felt increasingly called to focus on another crucial theme. There is a word that is repeated 
And as we will see, this word is crucially important if we want to understand what Jesus is doing. You see, it's in verse 18. If we can uh, put it on the screen again. The word is, has to do with um, freedom, you see? Freedom for the prisoners and set the oppressed free, right? So the word is freedom or to set free. Um, and uh, this word is aphesis in Greek. Uh, and this word covers concepts of deliverance and forgiveness in the Gospel of Luke. These concepts of freedom and forgiveness are integrated throughout the narrative throughout the story of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. This word appears in these moments uh, several times. I highlighted this word, freedom, setting free, uh, because we're going to come back to it at the end of the sermon. But I want, to, I want you to keep it, keep it in mind. For now, let's reflect a little bit more about freedom. Um, I come from a context uh, from Bolivia, which is, which is a beautiful, beautiful country. But because of its colonial past, there is what we call internal racism, right? So internal racism means that, um, you know, the, the darker, the more indigenous your features are, the less in you are, you know? So the, the, the more European you look, the, more, the, the, the better, right? So, that's, so society has this who's in, who's out systems, right? And, uh, and, and all this uh, um, freedom needed to happen there, or still needs to happen there. Also, um, you know, um, this week, as I thought about this word freedom, and, uh, you know, Suzanne and I are raising a, uh, kids now, a teenager uh, who's uh, who's entering high school, right? And uh, we we are beginning to see how how teenagers uh, have to navigate structures of who's in and who's out in high school, and that's in their minds, and that's uh, that is difficult to navigate. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of integrity on their part. Um, so we live in these systems from childhood or from, from adolescence. We're brought up in these systems. Uh, in some countries, it is more overtly, and in some countries, uh, it's more subtly, you know, kind of Canadian style. You don't say directly, you just kind of go around a little bit. Uh, but they're there. They're, they are a reality, these systems, or these structures of who's in, who's out. So I felt increasingly called to, to talk about this, this, this word because it's, it's crucial to the whole gospel, but, but in this passage, it, it does something powerful. So let's reflect more about freedom. You know, what would a woman who has been victim of human trafficking uh, say about freedom? How would someone living under terrible working conditions, oppressive working conditions, what would they say about freedom? Um, you know, there are these extreme, awful situations. Uh, there are extremely violent forms of oppression going on in our world, but there are also other more common situations and circumstances that call for freedom. 
what kind of things, and, and to think about it, I thought uh, of asking you, and maybe a couple of you uh, can, can answer this out loud. What kind of things have people asked you to pray for? Don't be shy. Any one of you. Health. Health. Yeah. Peace. Peace. Yeah. Here are some of the things that I have heard. Uh, pray that the pain will stop. Pray that I find a place to live. Pray that my children come back to me. Pray that I won't sin anymore. Pray for my family. Pray that I find a job. Of course, sometimes we pray out of gratitude. Sometimes out of amazement. Uh, but more often than not, when uh, we ask other people to pray, uh, it's because we need help. We need some kind of deliverance. And this is right, because you see, there are two things that are essential about God in the Bible. Essential. God creates and God liberates. Those two things are essential to understand who God is in the Bible. He creates, he sets us free. Right? So think Genesis, Exodus, right? For those of you that love the Old Testament. So we cry out to God. We ask people to pray for us because we believe God can come to our unique situations and deliver us. This is true. In the portion of scripture that Jesus read, freedom and deliverance are not confined to personal situations. Of course, they include personal situations, but they're not limited to that. Freedom and deliverance are part of something big called Jubilee. Have you heard of that word before, Jubilee? It's a fantastic revolutionary word. The year of the Lord's favor. A time when liberty is proclaimed in the land. The idea and purpose of Jubilee is to realign societies, practices, and structures, realign them, with God's desire for peace, for shalom, for his people, and for the land. That's what Jubilee is about. Jubilee reorients our hearts to seek God's peace for the land. Real freedom has a lot to do with this, with this realignment. Because God's peace for the land involves the restoration of just relationships in all areas of our lives. Let me say that again. See, God's jubilee, God's freedom, involves the restoration of just relationships in all areas of our lives. So what does this mean for us? How might this affect the way we pray, the way we live our lives? Let me give you a couple examples. We may pray for someone to find housing in the city. Yes, amen to that. But we may also call out and seek a more just approach to housing in the city because it's not fair how it works. You know, we might, uh, 
we might pray or we might work hard uh, for air filters or air conditioned units in our houses, in our apartments. Yes, okay. But we might also join other Christians or non-Christians in trying to do something about global warming. Because no matter how AC your unit is, it's getting ugly, isn't it? These are the kind of things that Jubilee is all about. Yes, it's about personal things, personal situations, but it's about peace, shalom for the land. This is the freedom that Jesus is talking about. We continue on with scripture. It says, then he rolled up uh, the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop, right? Boom. This prophecy fulfilled in your hearing? Jesus is claiming for himself the fulfillment of this prophecy. Maybe the response was a sense of enthusiastic pride among those hearing these words. One of our own is going to make our hopes and expectations become a reality. Hooray! God is finally making things happen for us. No more Roman occupation. No more marginalization. We are going back to the days when we had a great leader. A leader who can put things in order. We'll show everyone. Maybe that was the response that people had when Jesus said, Scripture is being fulfilled. But then, then Jesus, Jesus, verse 23. Surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. The jubilee that Jesus is fulfilling will transcend. That is, it will go beyond what people in that congregation ever thought possible, ever dreamt. Outsiders become insiders. Jubilee means that true freedom is actually a new kind of belonging. True freedom is a new kind of belonging. A belonging that doesn't follow society's expectations, that doesn't follow culture's expectations. It may if they bring life, if they bring shalom, but if they don't, it won't. By making reference to the great prophets Elijah and Elisha, Jesus is telling this congregation, this synagogue, that the freedom or liberty he is fulfilling will include people they wanted to exclude. Verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the bro <laughs> of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. 
And so we have the reaction of the synagogue. They wanted God's freedom and deliverance, but on their terms. Shaped around their vision and their systems of inclusion and exclusion. They wanted belonging to happen according to their own preferences. So when Jesus announces a new kind of belonging, they want to kill Jesus. The difficult questions I bring to you this morning are these. How would we react if Jesus told us that he wants to turn outsiders into insiders? Another question. What does freedom look like for us? What does belonging look like for us? If freedom looks like comfortably fitting in society and its, and its structures of inclusion and exclusion, then this freedom might actually be isolation. If you think of freedom in just in terms of power, of the power of, or ability to do whatever you want, then that might actually be isolation. But if freedom looks like the nurturing of just unholy relationships at home, at work, at the church, and on the streets, then freedom is a life-nurturing belonging. That's what freedom looks like. Let's look at verse 30. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I want us to pay attention to this verse because it reminds us of something that we have learned in the previous sermon series on the book of Acts. The good news of freedom, the good news of belonging. Remember Ephesus, freedom? The good news of freedom will not be stopped, not until Jesus has fulfilled his purpose his purpose in society, and his purpose in us. We are often stubborn or blind. Sometimes we can be obstacles to God's work. We let our egos take over, but God is not done with us. We often turn a blind eye to oppression that others suffer, but God is still calling us into his jubilee. Often our hearts are captive to things that, gives us, that give us a, a false sense of security. We want to be known by, uh, by our treasures, by our resources, by our success. Uh, as a community, we want to be known maybe by our building. Hopefully not, just that. 
or we want to be known by you know, the, the gifted preachers we might have, or our great institutional structures. But Jesus is still calling us to be known by the love and care we show to each other. We're in this together. Sometimes we think that it is the world that doesn't want to hear the good news. But the question that Luke is asking us to consider is whether the church wants to hear the good news of the kingdom. Some of you have come with me on prayer walks around downtown or other places. In these prayer walks, sometimes we only get to hand out a bottle of water. Uh, sometimes we give out the socks that you have donated. Uh, thank you again for that. Or the toothbrushes that you have brought. Um, but sometimes our neighbors are open to prayer or to conversation. We go with the urge to tell our neighbors that live on the streets that Jesus loves them. But a few times, or sometimes, we are confronted back with an unsettling question. Do you love Jesus? A few weeks ago, I was doing a prayer walk alongside Granville Street, and I was talking to a young man about our church. And because uh, I introduced myself, right? I, I'm David. I'm from First Baptist. And where is that? And I said, Well, is that you know, place? That building is being renovated. So he interrupted me, and he said, "Is that the church where the construction workers found another church inside?" <laughs> and I was like, "What? It, is that the church where they found a church inside?" And he. He wasn't all sober, I have to admit to that. <laughs> but, but there, was, there was something profound about that question that left me unsettled. The conversation went in another direction, uh, but, these, but this seemingly senseless question lingered in my mind, as I said, and it became a prayer. May there be, may, may there be true community true church, true belonging, and thus true freedom within this church. So, I brought difficult questions, I know. But I also have good news. Good news for us this morning. We can bring our brokenness to Jesus because nothing will stop the good news of freedom. We are invited to be that kind of community where brokenness is acknowledged because brokenness is healed. How do I know this? How do I have this certainty? Well, throughout his ministry, Jesus released many people. Many people from oppression, from exclusion, from shame, from judgment. That's what Jesus was all about. We will see these stories in the following weeks, like I said. But there is something more. So, that time they tried to kill Jesus, right? But 
and it didn't work. But eventually, Jesus did have to die. As Jesus was being crucified, he prayed like this. Father, forgive them, which is the same word, aphesis. Father, aphesis them, for they do not know what they're doing. That's how committed he was to our freedom. That's good news. It means freedom. It means releasing. It means forgiveness. Commitment from Jesus, from God, to such point that on the cross, he's praying for our deliverance. Affesses them. Forgive them. Jesus lived for our freedom and died for our freedom. Forgiveness, healing, takes place because God gives himself completely in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Jesus offers us this freedom, this new kind of belonging that defies society's own structures of inclusion and inclusion, inclusion and exclusion. And we, and let's be a community that lives into this gospel as we bring our brokenness to Jesus, the one who can truly set us free. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.